This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. And I was scared. You're much more aware of what are you doing? What time is it? Who's watching me? Did I jump out of the car and forget my mask? When he used the word state of disaster, that's the first time I've actually felt like crying. And the whole disaster that this has been, it was the word state of disaster that really shocked me and jolted me. I think the issue for me, Caro, here is what is the role of afl.com.au? So 100 years ago, when I was editing the footy record under the employee of the AFL, we knew that it was a PR arm. We knew what we were doing. But the other issue you now have is personal Twitter accounts too. Personal Twitter accounts and Instagrams cause real problems for organisations. Yeah, interesting. Poor Eddie Maguire, I did have sympathy for him. The minute he said send them home if they misbehave, we thought well, he'll be the first Collingwood player. Little did we know it would be Nathan Bobby Riggs Buckley and his assistant Brenton Sanderson. So irresponsible. Why don't you try and make a better sponge than me? Corrie, that would not be hard. That was not a sponge. <laughs> You do have a mean way about you sometimes. Well, you walked into it, really. You were a great cook, but that sponge was not a proper sponge. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. Hello, everybody. This is episode 138 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I am Caroline Wilson. Hello, Corey Perkin. Hello, Caroline Wilson. What beautiful blossom Miss Jane has brought into the studio today. We all need something to brighten up our lives and hopefully we can brighten up yours with a lovely chat about, well, pretty much everything. Corrie's done a brilliant rundown as always. Footy's on the news. Stage four is on the news. Corrie, turn off your phone, please. Turn off your computer. (laughs) That's enough about that. I'm grumpy. Corrie has a crush. She will finally get to talk about Joe Joe Biden's running mate. I think it's a woman and I think she's black. Is that right, Corrie? Well, we don't know. Just wait and see, Caro. Just wait and see. But, we, I, but it is very exciting that you're allowing me off the Trump leash. <laughs> and that, when I said to you the other day when we were walking, Carol, you realise that it is less than 100 days until the US election. If you don't let me talk about this soon, I'm just going to burst. Yeah, so no, here we are. And, and even I, I mean, talk about fiddling while Rome burns, playing golf while America dies of coronavirus. Oh. It is just... the. He used to have a crack at um, Obama. I reckon Obama had 12 games of golf over, or maybe 18, over his two presidential terms. Uh, Every weekend that fat cheat is out there. And he is fat and he is a cheat. I can say that. We don't hate him for being fat. I mean, a lot of people are fat. That's not a crime. But he, according (laughs) to... He cheats at golf. According to Commander-in-Cheat, that brilliant book he does. But all those games of golf and the cost to the taxpayer, millions of dollars security, he moves them all onto his private... It's a disgrace. Anyway. And every time he flies down to Florida to his pad down there to play golf each weekend, that's when he does the press conference. So all you can hear is the sound of the chopper, Air Force One chopper, just ta- getting ready to take off. And Donald Trump addresses the journalists who can't hear him, he can't hear them. And that's his ploy. It's a, look, let's just not get me started. Carol. He's like a psychopath. Now, Miss Jane, you've got, you haven't, you kick off the apologies, please. 
I want to apologise for posting a photo of beautiful <laughs> Corrie straight from her exercise class last week without asking her. Jane, you're now telling people to go and have a look at it again. Why, why are we doing this as an apology? That it's was on the, off. It's on the rundown. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. In this was supposed red. to be off limits, off air. <laughs> Don't look at it, everybody. All I can say is that I sat there and looked at the photo knowing that we're all a bit sensitive. We rock into studios with masks and, you know, early hours of the morning. And I thought, if I look that good by the time I'm nearly 60... So I'm sorry, Corrie. Shane, now you've told everybody how old I am. Double bad girl. Corrie, there's, there's... Off to the naughty step for you, Miss Jane. It's all right, Jane. I agree. I think you look gorgeous. Thank you to our friend Sally Howe, who's got in touch via email. Two things, empathy and communication, hugely important in these most challenging times. David Bunworth sent us an email. He's been listening to our podcast from the start, Corrie. Heard you talking about Line of Duty on Netflix an episode or two ago. Wow, wow, wow. Thanks, Corrie. It's probably the best I've seen. Keep up the great pods. Oh, David, I'm going to have to workshop the end of series two with you then. And Helen Gibbons, our friend on Facebook, she's with you, Corrie, on being ordered to enjoy the coffee, t-shirt, new whatever. It really irritates me. I think you're both going on a bit about this, but Helen agrees with you. She'll enjoy the coffee, T-shirt, whatever, if it's up to the mark. If not, she won't. Why not say, I hope you enjoy. Grr. <laughs> Grr. And Ms. Rule, our friend, absolutely loves Yellowstone. I think Yellowstone. Helen will be quite pleased with the way you've done that. Well, I, I get good practice because it's what we Tiger fans say whenever, you know, there's been a good win. Grr. I can't do it. I've lost Do you really? <laughs> do you really? Well, we, After I, a Saturday night win, when you loll into bed with Brendan, do you go, Grr. I do. See, I no. can't do it. Or I say, what time is it? And he goes, what do you mean? What, ti- what time is it? It's Tiger, tiger time. time. But Rose and I send Grrrs across the... Um, what, what, what's the ocean dividing us? Oh, about Pacific. four of them. The Indian would be the start. <laughs> anyway, Corrie, um, your monthly challenge. Yes, Caro. So my monthly challenge was to walk 60,000 steps a week. I, unless my addition is wrong, but I did add it up twice, I've gone to 52,000. I don't have it with me, but something like 52,820 or whatever. I should have gone for a walk this morning. However, potties, at the time of recording today's episode, we've just found out about the shutdown <laughs> stage four, the mayhem in my retail world. I cannot begin to tell you. So this morning there was a lot of uh, email activity and trying to work out on the DHHS, DHHS website what whether we can still operate an online service or whatever. So anyway, I almost got there, Caro, but I promise you by this time next week, I will have the 60K under my belt. What about you? Do you want to hear my weekly average at the moment? And I've only done 7,800 steps so far today. My daily average, 10,900 steps a day. So, Caro, that's interesting because when we were training for Cornwall last year, my daily average in the month leading up to when we went away was about 11,000 steps. And we have to remember it's average. So some days you might be doing 16,000. So that's pretty yep. good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm doing a lot of walking. How are we going to do it within the hour that we're allowed for exercise? You can do heaps of walking in an hour. Oh, and, you, you know, and, you know really walk. I, then I come home and I keep my, um, you know, Lululemons on 
and I slip my phone into the pocket no, and I do all count. But you're still doing cheap. steps. Oh, I know, but it's not really walking. Well, yes, you are. Well, you're mine going up is and down walking. My, mine is the walking steps. Corey, Corey, please. Do yesterday, you hear, yesterday <laughs> within an hour, I met my friend at her house and we walked to St Kilda Beach from my house. Yeah, that's great. That's and a great walk. And that was five k's. And it's so much more fun more when than. you've got someone to chat with too, because we're not doing a lot of chatting at the moment in person. Uh, my um, lovely Rosie, the personal trainer extraordinaire, she was telling me the other day. She said, "Have you noticed how many people have taken up jogging so they don't have to wear the mask?" As soon as she said that, I have noticed it. And as Rosie said. Really inappropriate in some cases. People are going to do themselves a terrible injury. There are people who are really, they, no offence people, if it applies to you, but they do look a little unfit. But just because they don't, they're doing this shuffle thing. There are all these people shuffling along the footpath just so they don't have to wear their mask. Corrie, um, my monthly strange. challenge, remember I didn't have one? I hadn't had one yet. Oh, yeah, that's right. What is it going to be? Getting through stage four. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? And that's not a. Ch- that's a challenge for everybody. This has to be well, a particular challenge for you, wh- Caro. Well, not good enough. Go back to the drawing board. Well, my home improvements have gone by the wayside because now you're not allowed to do. Well, you no can tradies. You can do. <laughs> you have your, to improve yourself. It has to. You can have urgent stuff. You can't I've go to a, Bunnings. No, I, to be honest, Bunnings was I was off limits for me anyway. There's too many people there. It was terrible. And you actually can. You can drive through. I mean, is your name Karen or Caro? <laughs> well, I mean, there was just so many people there, and it was. I went there once, and I saw all the cars. Hands I off thought, our no. Karens, everyone! Gosh, that's been a hilarious campaign too. Um, Caro, you need to come up with a proper challenge. I'm not accepting that, and well, neither is Miss Jane. Miss well, Jane was looking terribly distressed at that. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm devouring novels. I'm devouring Elizabeth Taylor oh, at the moment. And so is the rest of the world. Come well, on, no, a challenge. Well, what else? What is else is why there to you, do? Why don't you accept my challenge of last I'm year? Working. Can I go to Queensland with all the other <laughs> rest of the AFL industry? Caro, why don't you uh, – I cooked a sponge last year and you and Jane had – honestly, both your faces look like the cat's bottom. It clearly didn't hit the – why don't you try and make a better sponge than me? Corey, that would not be hard. That was not a sponge. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, your shortbread was magnificent, a triumph after a couple of cracks. Corey, that was, it wasn't... You do have a mean way about you sometimes. I, well, don't you... Well, you've sort of, you know, you, you walked into it, really. You were a great cook, but that sponge was not a proper sponge. I've made sponges all my... I make good sponges. I follow the recipe in the Woman's Mandy, Weekly. Mandy, whose recipe I use, don't take... Don't, please don't be a fit. I'll find a proper challenge. I don't know. You you better. You tick tock. Come on. Okay. I tell you. Okay. This this might sound a very small thing, but we're living smaller lives at the moment. Let's face it. In one sense, you know how you can't buy flowers anymore. I only realised that this morning when I went to the market that they've said that after Thursday they won't be selling flowers. I think supermarkets will be selling flowers. I am going to morph into Miss Jane for the next rest of this month. Every four or five days, I'm going to prepare from my rather small garden. You're not going to do what Jane does, walk around the suburbs with a pair of secretaries. Well, actually, I can do that, can't I? I can do that. Well, I'm going to do a beautiful posy every week. your neighbours. And I'm going to post it. I'm, I'm not going to put it on our website. There you are. There, oh, that's my challenge. Stop the presses. Can't wait. Corrie, um, we've gone into stage four. Um, I, I know there were predictions that some journal would ask about stage five, and of course they did. And I thought that was the best answer Daniel Andrews gave in that rather grim press conference the other day when he said, there is no stage five, this is it. 
this has to work. This has to work. Mm. We it's, have it's this to be or we good. all die. We have to behave because six weeks of this we can deal with. Six months of stage three or four, we actually can't. It'll be months before other states trust us and let us over their borders. But within Victoria, we have to do the right thing. So how has your life changed since Sunday? It's it's much quieter, Caro, and I think it's going to become even more quieter. So the... <sighs> I mean, the shop is busy. It's manic at the moment, and it won't be after Wednesday. So there's a lot. There are a lot of discussions happening in the shop. But I'm just finding that it is quieter because if I look at the conversations that we have over a week period, you might catch up with you know your friend when you're walking, or or you might run into them at the supermarket, or you know a couple of months ago we'd have a coffee together. None of that, and it feels quieter. And I must say, it's a little bit scarier. For example, last night I was driving some book deliveries after hours. Uh, well, I mean, after my hours, but it was about 6.30 and I was in Camberwell, far from home. And I thought, oh, eight o'clock curfew. And I still had a couple of deliveries to do. And I was so nervous that I might be, I don't know, held up in what traffic, but I was so nervous. I actually went home. And so today I have to do the rest of the deliveries. And I was scared. And I was scared. You know, you're much more aware of what are you doing? What time is it? Who's watching me? Did I jump out of the car and forget my mask? You, yep. you really are quite, you know, quite distressed. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not scared. I, when he used the word "state of disaster," I that's the first time I've actually felt like crying in the whole, the whole, you know, disaster that this has been. It was the word "state of disaster" that really shocked me and jolted me. Um, the curfew is is so weird. I mean, it's just something we've never, ever had to live with. People have over, you know, world wars, wars, um, various war zones, um, people, you know, footballers, you know, being given some special disciplinary thing on a camp. But this is just something that Melburnians have never really lived with. So um, driving home from Footy Classified on Monday night, obviously with a letter of permission from Channel 9, I did think, oh, it's going to be interesting to see if I'm pulled over, and, and I wasn't. But you know, it would have been very quiet out there. It was very. It wasn't that quiet though. It was there's a, quite a lot of police cars around. I saw one person walking down the main road near my house, and I thought, oh, I wonder what he's doing out. And he had a mask on, and he was probably walk, working, walking home from some sort An of job service or something. Um, the the and then you know, there's obviously the realization that the latest plan again has been cancelled. I hadn't even begun planning my husband's birthday, but um, clearly that's not going to happen. We had booked a trip to northern New South Wales a few months ago thinking, well, that's clever because we mightn't be allowed to go to Queensland. Well, that's not happening. What about you? What have you had to cancel? Uh, well, the, the, you know, it's, it is a first world problem, as we always say on this podcast. But as you know, we were looking forward to our four days at Port Ferry at the end of September. And... Um, I just, I'm, look, I'm very happy for them to keep the deposit. It doesn't worry me, that part of it, but I would like to make the call quite soon and I fear the call is obviously going to be we're not going. And that's really sad because that will be a coming together of the clans, you know, my will and his lib and her family in Hamilton, everybody congregating, Checker and Charlie coming from Ballarat, Coco and Charlie coming from Melbourne and Geelong. It was just going to be one of those fantastic four days. And I haven't seen the family and I haven't seen the grandchildren and everybody. I know people are in the same boat, so I feel a bit spoiled. Can I just say something about the Melbourne spirit, Carol? And I want all the Melbournians out there to just have a think about this. 
there's been some really aggressive and bad behaviour from people who uh, might see somebody get out of a car with a mask, with, with, they've forgotten their mask, or there might be four in the shop, the limit is four, and somebody's waiting outside and calling, can someone hurry up please, which is what happened yesterday in my shop. I understand that everybody's tense. We all have to take a big, deep breath. Melbourne, this is the time that we can show that we are a city of grace, of love, of compassion, all of those things. Let's just be kind to one another because if we lose that spark of humanity, there's not a lot of joy anywhere. And I think we actually become grumpier and badly behaved if we see people doing that day after day after day. It actually seeps into your psyche. Yep. And you become a grumpy old woman or a grumpy old man. So let's just lift, raise, show the rest of Australia. I mean, honestly, Carol, I'm a bit fed up with people saying, we're thinking of you, Melburnians, you know. Oh, well, no. I, <laughs> I mean, that... I love it. I mean, Fran, Fran Kelly does say that every morning on Radio National. She's based in Sydney. The Prime Minister says it at every press conference. We're all Melburnians. You know, thank you. We appreciate it. But, like, the best way that we can get through this is to show the rest of Australia that we are above this and we will maintain our grace and our dignity. So that's my message for today. Yeah, no, Children. look, but no, good point. I mean, there, there was uh, once, you know, the reality set in about, you know, the, this, the, the first world problems like no cleaners, not being able to go and get a blow wave, you know, <laughs> don't even think about, you know, my legs. Toes. <laughs> and all those sort of things. You, you just sort of thought actually good we needed to do this. Yeah, we did. You're right, Carol. I because felt so pe- relieved. People weren't behaving. People weren't wearing masks. People were getting sick and going to work. People were going to work with the coronavirus because they were worried about money. I know it's. It, I, I, everybody is worried about money. It is such a burden and a keep awake at night, toss and turn sort of issue at the moment. But we've just got to beat this. And if six weeks is not that long, anyway, here I am. Thumping. Thumping, thumping the table. Take the aggression down, um, big no, what, What's this, this new book you <coughs> want to tell me about? Okay, super quick. There's a new book by scientist Dr Alex Pang, and it's called Shorter, How Working Less Will Revolutionise the Way Your Company Gets Things Done. Really boring title. However... Most interesting for people who are working from home and have been since March. This book actually by Alex came out in March, but he was on the ABC this week talking about the book, in particular how it's affecting people in Melbourne in lockdown who can't move and possibly haven't moved from their living rooms for five months and, like me, have a kind of Zoom-itis. I don't know about you, but if I look at one more Zoom screen, I'll, you know, go, hey. There go the Zoom drinks, by the way, girls. I'm sort of a bit over it, but... Oh, he's, but Alex's I was point, actually going to plan some, <laughs> but now Ale- that dry July's over. <laughs> Alex's, Alex's point is really interesting and he says that the old nine to five largely capitalist concept of work is now out the window and enlightened companies are redesigning their work week. This increases efficiency, health and happiness and all that sort of stuff. So the whole idea of spending 12 hours at your desk where you go, you know, hell for leather, often to try and you know, earn a few brownie points with the senior partners or whoever, it's gone. But what people have to do is to work in shorter, sharper bursts, but you have to include in your day a day of creativity, a day where you switch off and or a moment where you switch off. A whole and, day of creativity? No, sorry, block, <laughs> blocks of creativity, blocks of time, and he calls it deliberate rest. So in fact, it, you don't just sort of go, oh, I'm going for a walk. You actually say, I'm putting down my tools now. I'm going for a walk and I'm going to just switch off. And he maintains, Alex maintains that this is a time of high creativity for people, that we think about stuff 
to do with work life when we're in the shower or when we're painting. For example, he uses Winston Churchill as an example. We know that Winston Churchill, you know, great wartime prime minister, he painted and he tried to do his watercolours nearly every day. And he said later, after the war and so on, that was the thing that helped him get through it because as he was painting, he could think the big picture plans. So it's a very interesting book and it allows us to actually rethink the way we work and particularly for anybody out there who is a manager or who owns a business or a CEO, I suggest you get a copy of this book or at least listen to the ABC, just put in Dr. Alex Pang and um, have a listen. And I might talk a little bit more about some of the strategies um, and that particular podcast in our GLT segment. Now, Corrie, one thing we are doing to relax or escape or have a form of diversion is watch footy. It's not going on in Victoria where it normally is. It's all in Queensland and occasionally in South Australia and Western Australia. I'm sure the grand final is going to end up being in Brisbane. I wouldn't be surprised if Gillan McLaughlin moves up there soon. I think there'll be 16 teams. You don't think Perth, Caro? No, no, no. Well, not if the, unless they change the quarantine rules. Um, oh, yeah, the, 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 it's difficult. The border yeah. situation. The only other option, I think, is the Adelaide Oval at the moment. We're halfway, more than halfway through the AFL season. Where are we? We're now in August. It's extraordinary. Caro, a crackerjack game, a round of games, I thought, on the weekend. I some say that because Hawthorne won. There was some great, there was some dreadful. But, but there the, was a couple of good the games. The Geelong West Coast game was absolutely yeah. brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But all the story has been, and we, we touched on this last week, is bad behaviour in the hubs. So um, we've obviously got the issue with the Cochins and the Casbolts. We've also got, you know, the, poor Eddie Maguire, I did have sympathy for him. The minute he said send them home if they misbehave, we thought well, he'll be the first Collingwood player. <laughs> Little did we know... It would be Nathan Bobby Riggs Buckley and his assistant Brenton Sanderson. So irresponsible. And the sort of unbelievable, well, not not paradox, but ridiculous sort of comparison of an AFL media journalist being stood down indefinitely for naming Brooke Cochin on his private um, Instagram or Twittergram um, and then being stood down when Nathan Buckley, who completely broke protocol, left the bubble, with, which he did have permission to do to play tennis, played with two outsiders. But Mitch Cleary's been reinstated, hasn't he? Yeah, but, you know, I, I think that came down to a lot of public pressure. I mean, I, I think oh, he was... was handled so badly. He was expected. It was so heavy-handed. And it, and it's, you know, a, a lot of the club people are saying, oh, good journos, you're so cute your way, you know, come in and stick up for your own, you know, rather condescendingly. And this is a great sort of cause for you all to adopt. Look, seriously, it was embarrassingly heavy-handed, heavy-handed the way they stood him down. Yes, they apparently had, they'd, they'd said to the clubs, we're not going to name wives or partners or families who do the wrong thing. I don't know why they would say that, given that it, the more you keep things quiet, the bigger story it's only going to become when you do name them. In the, in the case of Brooke Cochin, who was fantastic this week, she put out a really good apology. She clearly didn't know she was doing the wrong thing or she wouldn't have posted, you know, her experience at the spa on social media. But she did say that she was horrified at Mitch Cleary being stood down and she said that she'd spoken to the AFL and really asked them to you know, mm. give him his job back. So she's come out, you know, I think smelling of roses at the, the end, issue, even though the she issue. did the wrong thing and cost, in the end, her husband, who should have paid the fine, really, not the not the Richmond Football Club, $20,000. Mm. I think the issue for me, Carol, here is what is the role of AFL.com.au? So 100 years ago when I was editing the footy record and under the employ of the AFL, 
we knew that it was a PR arm. We knew what we were doing. And we had stories all the time, breaking left, right and centre. And we would have the journalistic cut and thrust. Can we write this story? You know, I remember a cover story to do with racial vilification. I can't recall for the life of me who the player was, but it was just before the AFL released their code. And the word came down from Tony Peake, now, look, hold off on that because we've got a big announcement in a few weeks. But the stories happen now. So you had that cut and thrust. But we knew that we were an arm of the AFL and we knew that that's our role. Now, I was employed on that, on you know, under that premise and we, we kind of knew what the rules were. I wonder, Mitch Cleary... Did he did he come on board as a fully you know as a journalist to, to follow yeah, the code of conduct as a news Well, then he, he, he was our, he was our reporter on the ground for so then we go back to for a, some years. So Is then it, we go back to AFL HR department and the editor or the or the CEO whoever's running AFL.com.au and we say, look, have you made it clear? Gillian McLaughlin, has your office made it clear what the role is here? Because clearly the journalist was actually just doing what his role was. They made it, they made it clear else. when they didn't allow the journos, they changed their union um, entitlements and they weren't, they didn't fall under the MEAA, but they fell under another union. They are employees of the AFL. They're not journalists in the HR sense of the word. And so who says their role is, I mean, where's the thing that says their role is to break stories? Isn't oh. it just to cover the game? Well, no, no. I mean, Damien Barrett is one of the most senior journos in Australia in the AFL. He's one of the best in the yeah, business. Yeah, but what I mean is what's the AFL's assumption of those people well, working da- for them? They do break stories and some of the stories are, you know, some of the stories can be anti-AFL. I mean, Damien's done stories about um, drugs in footy. He's done stories about... Um, lack of umpires, umpire in- injury. I mean, I, I, there's a plethora of... But now it puts him, I think, under enormous pressure because mm-hmm. it, it makes it quite clear where the line is. And the, the double the double whammy here is that no-one at AFL.com seemed to know about this directive, that they weren't naming the partners if they were the ones involved in the hub breaches. So... There might have been a decision by Andrew Dillon and Darren Birch and all the executives who have been involved in this, but the, no one told the journos. And I heard Mitch saying when he was returned to work on his podcast earlier this week, I should have, I should have checked. Well, he should have been told probably by his manager. This I'm is, not guys, sure, guys. This is the way it's going to be. I've just got the word from head office, and this is how we're going to play it. The it other have issue been someone else's responsibility, I'd suggest, not Mitch's. Well, uh, maybe he should have checked, but the other issue you now have is personal Twitter accounts too. And, I mean, this happens at Croc Media as well. Personal Twitter accounts and Instagrams cause real problems for organisations. Yeah, interesting. Carol, I just wanted to ask you about this, the happy story of the weekend, which was Magic Door. That was just wonderful to see him out there again, wasn't it? Yeah, after his, you know, the the incident that happened on the Balti Bridge when, first of all, we wondered if he was going to survive at all, Magic Door. Would he ever come back to football, even in sense of... I remember when he played his first VFL game, it was a triumph. Not only did he play, he played in a winning team, and North isn't doing that much lately, and he kicked a goal. And to watch the vision of his young son, seeing his dad kick the goal, to hear Dermot Brereton break down and talk about the suicide in his family... Um, and anyone who's listening now, please remember Lifeline is just a phone call away. But Dermot mentioned both his father and his brother, or he's you know, obviously issues there. Then you had Tom Papley from the Sydney Swans talk about his great friend who took his own life recently, and he was wearing the black armband for him. 
the S word is being used now, which is, you know, which was a taboo as when we were young journos and up until very recently. So a lot of debate since Shane Tuck's death and Offsiders did it really well a few weeks ago as to whether we should be maybe not ignoring, which we've debated many times as journalists, haven't we, at the age, oh. the Sunday age. I remember when Herald. you did that extraordinary story on the um, horse trainer. Yeah, Vin Knight. Yeah, yeah. Vin Knight. And, and there was um, discussion about how far you could go into describing what had happened. Neil Clark, the Essendon <coughs> footballer, more recently. I had real issues mm-hmm. with the age over that. But um, maybe it's something we shouldn't be covering up. Anyway, no, it was just, it was absolutely wonderful. And the industry response was as well. Now, while we continue on a happy note, Corrie, you have a crush. I do. It's a joint crush, Caro and Jane and Potties. It's the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, and the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian. So you cannot accuse me of being party politics here. And in fact, I want to put the politics to one side. And I just want to put aside the fact also uh, that appropriate investigation processes are going to be uh, you know, unfolding over the next few weeks and months regarding both Premier's roles in both the Ruby Princess and the hotel quarantine tragedies. But for now, as Victoria grapples with stage four and New South Wales is on high alert as their clusters and their numbers continue to rise, I've just got to say that both premiers have shown extraordinary leadership, appropriate compassion and empathy, and they're also humble enough, Caro, to call on the skills of others, which a lot of leaders sometimes lack that ability. They're very happy to say, Daniel Andrews did this on Friday, calling together his think tank and put them all together and said, you go into a room, police, health, everybody else, and you come to me with what stage four is going to look like. You know, I I, I appreciate that part of decision-making a really interesting article. Well, actually, the whole magazine, um, I picked this up actually before, like last week or the week before I picked this up, Harvard Business Review special issue. And the title is How to Lead in a Time of Crisis. Again, getting back to our leaders and our CEOs, do yourself a favour and buy a copy of this. But they talk about what what what, requi- what is required in a time of crisis. And if you go through the checklist in this, and they use 9-11 in New York as an example, our premiers are actually following a lot. I don't know whether they realise it or not, or whether it's Crisis Issues Management 101 and it's pretty bleeding obvious, but whatever's happening there, it's working because we're all getting the message. And I think we're all appreciating the fact that they're working so hard. He seems pretty tough, Daniel Andrews, doesn't he? I mean, you have to be tough to be getting through this. And he he seems to have a resilience, which he obviously needs. But while we're travelling up the East Coast, can we throw in... um, Anastasia Palaszczuk as well, because she has gone from referring to <laughs> AFL footy as the other code to she, she's on board. She's she fallen in love with the game. She's allowed Super Netball to start again. They've gone up there to start their season. Without Queensland, there would be no AFL season. Very true, It's Caro. not just a marketing exercise. All right, we'll give a little bouquet to Anastasia. Said. Maybe she'll earn her own crush in a couple of weeks. Anyway, that's um, that's what I'm crushing on about today. And BSF... Thanks to Red Energy, our show sponsors, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. Corrie, kick it off with a book. The winner of the 2020 Miles Franklin Award, Caro, is a novel called The Yield by Tara June Winch. Tara is a Wurundjeri author, born in Australia in 1983, and she's now based in France. And The Yield is her second novel. Congratulations to her and her publishers. And just as an aside, she will be a guest of the Melbourne Writers' Festival, which happens at the end of the month online. So you can, 
I don't know whether you buy tickets or you just register to be part of it. But anyway, Tara is a fabulous talent. She's she's a wonderful speaker. Um, have a look at that. Caro, this book is, I think, is going to be probably the novel of lockdown for um, the one, the first, the novel oh, of big the, statement, Corey. The novel of the earlier lockdown uh, would have to be American Dirt, where the crawdads sing, and Hamnet coming in a close third with those two. But this one, I think, people just also because it's just won the Miles Franklin last week. It's it's hot to trot. What do you, um, what do you win when the when you win that sixty thousand dollars and lots and lots of book sales? So we've just placed our third order since last week for another 25 or 30 and we are a tiny bookshop so imagine what readings or demics are doing. So this is the story of August Gondawindi who is in her late 20s. She's a Wiradjuri woman. She's a young Aussie living in Europe, sort of living the traveller's dream and she receives a call telling her that her much beloved grandfather has died back in Australia. And this is the story of August's return to return home for the funeral her step back into her family's immediate past, which is, includes lots of flashbacks of the violence and the trauma, which led her and her sister Jedda as little girls to be taken into the care of their grandparents. And then there's a deeper step back into August's family history as she grows to understand her grandfather's story in connection to the land. Her father, her grandfather Albert, um, it's not giving anything away to say that he is he dies at the beginning of this book, but he's diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and with that prognosis, um, he's part of the stolen generation, and he starts to chronicle his story. August comes back. The story is revealed. She learns that her fa- grandfather was working on a dictionary of language, and all of a sudden she's drawn back into her ancestral past, and there is a powerful mining company about to take over the land. So, Caro, it's great. It has... Uh, climax and excitement. It has a very, very beautiful, um, beautiful uh, memories, I suppose, of Alberts as he travels back in his in his mind and um, back to country. And particularly for this white white fella here, me, I it enhanced my understanding of indigenous culture and the connection with the land, and that can only be a good thing. So that's the yield by Tara June Winch. Thank you, Corrie. Now, I'm going to kick in with a recipe. Um, note, Kel Island, I hope you're still listening to us all the way up there in free state Queensland. Um, Are you kidding? We're giving all, all these easy recipes. This, You'll have a Kel's Easy Recipe book coming this, out soon. This one um, was on both the um, pages of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. I only mention that because my sister Mogs in Sydney sent it down to me on the same day as Anna from the Op Shop said to me, you've got to do this recipe. It cost $14.92 to make, according to the chef, Danielle Alvarez, who we absolutely love. It's called a lemony, lemony chicken and also stew. It's got 14 ingredients, but Kel, they... 14 in- ingredients for $14. Yep. They include things like water, <laughs> salt and pepper, lemons, egg yolks, onion, garlic, a lot of stuff you have in your cupboard. She wants you to use dried oregano, dried oregano and dried dill. She says for some reason it works really well. The secret are the chicken drumsticks. You buy a kilo of chicken drumsticks. It's called a lemony chicken and also stew. So also like risoni, you know, that right. I've got a, always got a jar of it. It is so easy to make. It is so beautiful. You're baking it or frying it? 
It's like a stew. So you start off um, seasoning the chicken with salt and you set it aside while you prepare all the remaining ingredients. You do it in a big Le Creuset pot and, um, you know, you sweat the onions, etc. after you've browned the chicken, put it back in the pot. Look, it's got chicken stock or well, it's got water, I should say. It's also got, um, you know, it does have chicken stock. It's also got um, frozen spinach. Corrie, it is so beautiful. I've sent Miss Jane a picture of it to put on the website and I'll send my sister's picture as well. You are going to love. Don't be put off by the fact it's chicken drumsticks. We, we don't have a website, I'm just saying. We're too poor to have one. But we do have on a, a homepage. Notes. Yeah, show notes and we, also uh, we'll, Facebook. Uh, Remember Facebook. Everyone knows what I mean. But anyway, it's absolutely beautiful. It was in um, the, the Nine Press a few weeks ago and it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, now, Corrie, yeah. you've been watching um, the Richard Gare drama that was, I was, it was on pay a few years ago, but it's come to the ABC. Oh, was it? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I thought I, I was start... watching something quite new. No, no, it's a bit like the new series of Shetland. I w- realised halfway through, oh, no, I've seen this. Oh, no, you haven't. Yeah, I have. You don't think we saw it in when we were in Cornwall, No, 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 no. I've, I've seen, seen the whole it, series. Yeah. Oh, I've seen gosh. the whole series on, on oh. pay TV last year, BBC First, but oh, that's all right. Well, you see, they, they, I'm you watching it again. The so Mother, Mother, Father, Son is on ABC iView, everyone, and I think we might be up to episode three or four. I've only watched the first one and I was <coughs> riveted and I can't wait to get stuck back into it. Richard Gere plays Max Finch, think a kind of a slightly younger Rupert Murdoch, and it starts with him disembarking from his private plane in London and uh, his offsider um, is there to pick him up and says to him, are you here to pick a Prime Minister or to do a deal with your son? The reference to the Prime Minister, Britain is on the verge of a general election and the son, of course, is Caden, his 30-year-old bachelor son who snorts far too much cocaine, has weird sex with glamorous women and is struggling under the weight of his father's expectations. And his father has made Caden the youngest ever editor of The National, which is Britain's, um, according to this show, most influential newspaper, and it's known for its power to make or break governments. Enter the mother or Caden's mother, the ex-wife of Max, who is still trying to find her happiness level after a rather torrid and messy separation from Max. She's working in a shelter, feeding food to the homeless people. And of course, we wonder what is the nature of her relationship with Scott, who's one of the regulars at the shelter. A tragedy happens at the end of episode one, Caro, which allows the screenwriters in subsequent episodes to peel away the layers of family history, how these two got together and why these three people, including Caden, got to this terrible point of dysfunction and contempt. I said Richard Gere, you know, just playing the typical Richard Gere, good-looking silver hair, face never moves a muscle, that sort of thing, great suits, great clothing. Helen McCrory, she plays... Uh, the wife, love Catherine. her. Yep, love her. For those who can't picture her, remember Sherry Blair in The Queen, and also she was Wicked Malfoy's mother in Harry Potter. Played that brilliantly, and Sinead Cusack pops up as a Maggie Barnes. She's a journalist about our age, Caro, a, a kind of an, a world weary, a political correspondent who, in the first few minutes, gets the sack from the the National, um, and she's hell bent on revenge against Max. So. Great, great series. Really good for lockdown. I'm not sure how many episodes there are, but that is Mother, Father, Son. You haven't given Yellowstone a crack yet? Not yet. No, we've just been a little busy with this one and others. I've got another one too. I'm holding on to that for a couple of weeks when it's my turn again. I'm thinking Wyoming, you know, cowboy style might be the new look. Montana. (laughs) The new look as the home improvements continue. You know, I can see you in a suede jacket with fringing. I really can. (laughs) That was BSF. Thank you to Red Now you're grumpy, Caro. 
Look, I am. Am I? I am going to. I don't think I'm being political. I think I'm being, well, not nationalistic. You can't be nationalistic about your state. But I've had enough of Tim Smith, the rogue Liberal MP, who is being retweeted by other Liberal politicians I really respect. But I think there's something a bit treacherous about going on Sydney radio, as he did in recent days. He goes on Ben Fordamore, some one of the shows on 2GB, and basically talks about Victoria is spiralling out of control. The other day he said Daniel Andrews has blood on his hands and he called on him to resign. Now, how is that helping? Surely there must be some form of collegiate response to this. There has to be. Parliament is starting to sit again this week. I think the lower house isn't sitting, but the upper house is. That is what I think is happening. It, obviously, there's, there's well, issues there. They are there. meeting this week, yeah. I don't understand why. There, there, there will be a time for reckoning after all of this is over. But now is not the time. And there is something really devious and disloyal about what Tim Smith did. I don't like it. And that, don't as like you say, that whole pile-on by all his colleagues as How well. How does it help? How does it help? And sensible politicians are retweeting the blood on your hands. That is not good enough. We're better than that, Tim. Man up. Corrie, <laughs> six quick questions for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. You can kick us off. Um, my question to you, of all things off-limits in Stage 4, Carol, what's the thing you're going to miss the most? Don't mention the toes. We're all with you on that. Um, all the leg wax, all the hair. <laughs> um, oh, look. You'll be, I'll be here in about six weeks. It'll be like talking to a monkey. Corrie, I'm really... <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, yeah, well, thank, thank heavens Chemist Warehouse is still open. <laughs> One person at a time, but they are letting me in. What do we do about um, hair colour? Um, do it yourself. I work on television. I'm really lucky. Oh, um, you smug old yeah. thing, you. No, Jane, what about us? Oh, my God. No, no, getting together for family family sort of functions is clearly going to be the thing I'm missing. And the Sydney relatives that I was really looking forward to seeing and just general, not social behaviour as in big parties or going out to lunch with 10 people, but just walking with more than one person, meeting up and standing around a coffee shop, all, all those usual things. And I was looking forward to getting back into the cinema. You and I individually went and saw one film each in that brief time cinemas reopened. And I just miss that so much. I spoke with my friend Katie this morning and we decided that we're going to, when cinemas reopen, we're going to do not only two in a row, we're going to do four in a row, a full day of cinema. Oh, like a little film festival. Yeah, get there in the morning, start at 9, 9.30, 10, 11. Hey, you know what we should do? You know, Lunch how, in you know how we're in a book club? We should actually start a film club. But instead of meeting once a month, for the first few weeks we should meet once a week and like just have that religious... I mean, not that you and I need an excuse to go and see a movie, but it's actually like, let's meet, let's have a coffee afterwards or a drink or something. Let's all go together and let's let's have a shared, you know, moment. Yep. What about you, Corrie? What do you miss the most? Uh, well, it hasn't happened yet, but I know it's going to happen. It's my shop, which, of course, is more than a business. It's a community. And I think um, I'm so lucky. You and I have said that we've been so lucky in recent months to have work as, uh, as a, well, not a distraction, as a necessity, but it has been a distraction. But it's the conversations that I have over the counter and they'll just stop. And all of the, all of the, I don't know, the anxiety and the loneliness and everything that we have shared, the people who come into the shop, but also me as well. You can't do that on the phone or when you're an online business. It's just not going to be the same. And I know we should never say, Caro, that work defines who we are. Work doesn't, but this shop does. You know, this is me. 
What do I do? Six weeks. You'll get through it. Okay. All right. Now, question to you, Caro. How did you break out after your dry July? I'm very impressed, by the way, Kaz, that you've done that. It's a big thing to do dry July at a time like this. Even more impressive is that we're now five days into August and I've, that, I haven't had a drink since August 1. So it's actually, I know, you're looking at me shocked. I'm, I'm so sorry, no, wait on. So no, you, sorry, you had a drink, where, for Ned's birthday you had a drink, but then you haven't drunk since. No. Well, that's just normal, isn't it? You don't drink for the first part of a week. Well, Sunday night I might have a glass of wine. Anyway, well. Oh, well, okay, hats no, off. I, hey, listen, it's um, it, it, small things, Corrie. So how did you break out? Gin sour. Thank you, Mary Clark, for the recipe. One third egg white. No, egg white. Oh, that's the old whiskey sour. Sugar syrup. Ah, got it. Gin, lots and lots of lemon juice and lots and lots of ice. Unfortunately, the cocktail shaker got a bit overexcited and I might have spilt the second one all over the floor. Oh, sticky. Gin sours, absolutely delicious. Corrie, what amazing science fact did you discover this week? Animals don't blush. That's pretty obvious. Well, Well... how could, they, never, <laughs> how could they blush? I've never thought about it. Well, no, there's a, a book actually came out by a Montana, speaking of Montana, a Montana vet a few years ago called Animals Don't Blush. No, I just I stumbled upon this fact. I just stumbled. Blushing is caused by the dilation of blood vessels in the facial skin. Charles Darwin considered it the most peculiar and most human of all expressions, and it's unique to humans, although apparently the bald Yukari monkey has a bright red face, it's a signal of their psychological psychological health. I don't know why that is, but that's what this says, this website. I did look up the Yukari monkey. Very very ugly little chap he is, big face. <laughs> he's got he's no fur on the top of his head and he's got a sort of a, a cheeky grin. It looks like your drunken uncle at a wedding or something. Ooh. Not very attractive. Anyway, we are, the, we, are the only, we are the only animal that blushes. So there you go. Now, Caro, my next question to you is award-winning film director Sir Alan Parker died this week, age 76. Of course, his body of work includes Mississippi Burning Commitments, fame. Did you have a favourite amongst his work? Look, I do. And I reckon I saw it with you many, many years ago. It was not, it was a small film. It wasn't a small film. It was a great film. It was called Shoot the Moon. And it starred Diane Keaton and Albert Finney. Do you oh, remember? vaguely. Uh, well, I absolutely I loved this film. I you were going to say fame. I hated fame. I loved fame. Karen Allen was in it as well. Um, it's about a mar- marital breakdown and it stands the test of time. It's about a, a couple who are on the verge of a divorce. Um, they have, I think, three or four girl or three or four daughters, one of whom won't speak to her father after um, Diane discovers Albert Finney is having an affair. Albert Finney was nominated um, for an Oscar for this and for a BAFTA. Oh, really? But he was beaten by, um, you know, Ben Kingsley for his role in Gandhi. It, it is a real, it, it's a bit, it's got a bit of Kramer versus Kramer, a little bit of violence. It's quite disturbing at times. And although a couple of scenes don't quite ring true, as I remember, or a couple of them, they're historic, very dated. It's a very good, nuanced film. I don't, think I, saw, I don't think I saw this with Thought you. I saw it with you. Anyway, it's really, really good. Corrie, um, here we are. Joe Biden's running mate to be announced in a few days. Who's your tip? Um, I can't say. Ka- Kamala Harris, Susan Rice or Elizabeth Warren are my three. But keep an eye on, uh, oh, my God, what's her name? Karen Bass, the congresswoman from California. Uh, obviously, there's a bit of pressure on Joe to pick a candidate of a woman of colour. He has said he's going to pick a woman. 
Watch out for Elizabeth Warren. She and Biden have a very, very good, strong, not only working relationship, but personal relationship. And Joe Biden has said many times in recent weeks, that's what he valued most about his relationship with Barack Obama. And Barack Obama has said, that's why we worked as such a great team, because we trusted and cared and we were in it together. So he could pick Elizabeth Warren. People will say she's too old. You know what? She can run around the park 10 times and I'll do it once. Like she is a... She's a gun. And also, you know, not not so ambitious that she'd be wanting to knock Joe off. I think she would look at generational change like no other candidate. I love her. I love Elizabeth Warren. Well, a bit, the big thing love, is, love, I love. guess, is that because Joe's quite old and everyone thinks he'll only serve one term if he wins, then um, the, the running mate could be the favourite. Could be. And he also has a bit to of be a, the next Democrat candidate. A little bit of a heart issue as well. So, yeah, quite possibly, Caro. It's, 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 it's an important choice like no other. Thank you to our supporter, Red Energy, for this podcast. I'm glad we got to talk about American politics. Thanks for your feedback Unleash and the comments. genie. Well, now that Americans seem to be wising up to Donald Trump and he is a good chance that Corona might finally just get him get him off the um, – anyway. Off anyway. the earth. Him <laughs> off, off the – Did you think he can – Off the planet? No, off the, no, no off the stage. I don't want him to die, but I don't want him to be president anymore. Please send your feedback, comments, tips and suggestions to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Don't Shoot Pod. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au is where we would love to hear from you. And don't forget our footy tips episode. Thank you, Corrie. Thank you, Miss Jane and Corrie. Don't shoot the messenger. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. For home design and decoration, don't miss Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Getting the balance of large open spaces is about creating zones within one space. And if you're busy in the garden, catch the sport of gardening with Dale Vine. Compost is on trend at the moment. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle available from your podcast provider and on the SEN app.